0: Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Max Marzo podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a fun episode. By the way, I need to kick off every episode with my selfish marketing for my own always an athlete training team. If you want to join the always an athlete training team, we have a seven day free trial. Give it a go. We train upper body, be kind of jacked and stacked. We train the lower body to be explosive, powerful, strong, be good at athletics and also have some delts. That's the deal. Seven-day free trial. Give it a go. If you like it after seven days, awesome. Stick around. If you don't like it after seven days, that's okay. It was a seven-day free trial. You gave it a go. It's on an app, the Train Heroic app, easy to use Has a message board. If that sounds like a training program for you, give it a try. So now my ad is out of the way. Let's talk. We are going to be talking about Oh, it's a fun topic. I take a deep breath before I go into this because I have to pace myself. Um, I normally, by the way, only do this recording in one shot, as you guys probably know by these edits or lack of. Um, And I shot part of this first one before and I didn't like how it went because I got too I get too sciencey sometimes for what I'm trying to um, explain. So we're going to take a step back and pace ourselves during this. We're talking about, by the way, why and how you get better in the weight room, the science behind it. The reason as to why we see change and basically the principles of adaptation, essentially the science behind why you get stronger, run faster, jump higher, not the science in terms of the programming and the structure, but the biological foundational principles that help guide this process. So. Really easy to start off. We'll talk about what is called a stress response adaptation. You guys might have heard this before, the SRA curve. It's really simple. The stress is the workout. That stressor creates a response or a signal. I like to use the word signal more so than a response. Your body adapts to it. It reaches a higher state. So when you get stronger, when you get faster, when you jump higher, This occurs because you've had numerous stressors, workouts, numerous different responses and signals to say, hey, let's have some change. And you've had the accumulation of adaptation and your body now runs faster and jumps higher. It doesn't just build muscle on accident. It builds muscle and strength in response to what you're doing. There's a reason why if you do bicep curls, your calves don't grow the signal was relative to your biceps. It was not relative to your calves. And so your biceps grow. And you can work on different qualities. You can do say you can run a marathon or you can run sprints. Both of those are different kinds of signals and you'll have different kinds of adaptations. So, the principle for stress response or your adaptation process is pretty simple. You have your stressor that is The workout. That workout creates a specific signal in the body that is related to the type of workout that you just did. That signal relative to your abilities is going to cause some sort of change in the body. And that change is what is called adaptation. And what's really important, by the way, is the relativeness of this stressor. And this is the biggest mistake people make. Well, it's one of the biggest mistakes. That and the fact that there is a time axis, you plot this along an X, Y curve. There's an X axis, which is time. And you need to accumulate numerous stressors of the same nature to create adaptation. You don't just get to sprint one time and now you're fast. It's the continual progressive overload of sprinting. And that progressive overload, that word is one of the principles around the relative stressor. So we have the stress response and adaptation. Now the response you get is relative to the type of stressor and that response is going to dictate adaptation. So understanding the stressor, the workout is wildly important. And this is what people often miss out on and don't understand. I think if they understood it, especially as a, someone who's introing themselves into strength conditioning or someone at any level, actually professional athletes, that stressor is a very important idea to understand. So let's talk about it. We have at any point in time, a specific level of our ability to respond to something. Like for example, I like to run and jump and sprint. Okay. My threshold and my ability to handle lots of running and jumping and sprinting is probably much higher than someone who only rides their bike every day. However, I i am not very good at riding my, I can ride my bike, but I don't have the capacity to handle my ride or ride a bike every day. So if I were to try and ride miles and miles on my bicycle, the same amount that someone who rides a bike a whole bunch does, that relative stressor would be extremely high for me. In the same way, if they decided to do one of my workouts for jumping, running and sprinting that I put my professional athletes through, that might be really high to them. But if you did you know, the average bike workout for them is average for them. And it's extreme for me. So we have here is a capacity. Your capacity is what dictates the relativeness of a stressor. So your current ability relative to what you're going to going to do. And as long as the, what you're going to do in terms of a workout is only slightly higher than your relative ability. In theory, that is what progressive overload is. It is larger than your capabilities or large enough to create a stimulus. I shouldn't say larger than your capabilities because your body, by the way, is built to endure lots of stuff. If you threw a crazy workout at it, it can probably handle it. Why? Because your body is really good at surviving. But because you can handle it and just endure it and get through it, that doesn't mean that the stressor was optimal. The stressor that is optimal is just a large enough stressor that creates a stimulus for change. People like to use the uh, the tanning example. If you want to go outside, yes, you could probably spend three hours shirtless outside without any sunscreen. You haven't been outside in months. You're going to get really, really ridiculously sunburnt from it. Your body can endure it in the short term, but anyone who's been outside before realizes you have to slowly expose yourself to the sun. So yes, you could be out there for three hours, but if you want to get a tan without getting sunburnt, you might expose yourself for like five, 10, 15, 20 minute increments slowly over time and build up to it. The same idea works with working out. What's really important by the way, is that relativeness of the stressor doesn't change as fast as we think it is. So If we want to get better at something, we need to understand the stress response and adaptation response and adaptation are typically two things. They're not totally dependent variables because there are some independent aspects in it. In the sense, someone might just be genetically more inclined to have a better response and a better adaptation. You could argue sleep, food and recovery. All those fun things go into that process as well. But for the most part, they are dependent on the stressor. And so when the stressor is too large, too much, your body has such a hard time recovering that the adaptation might not be optimal. If the stressor is too little, it might not be enough of a stimulus to create adaptation. If the stressor is just right, the Goldilocks zone, you will have positive adaptation. And so what's really important here is understanding what you have done in the past your abilities, how to kind of quantify that. People often use things like their one rep max or they might use things like how many um, times can I do X weight for X number of reps or how many times can I jump a certain percentage or run a certain speed? And so they have some measure of capacity. And because we cannot simply open up internally and understand every minute mechanism of our body The way we typically progress over time in training is more or less a guess and check kind of process with some evidence and understanding based on our history and always getting feedback. You go through a workout, you understand what you've done in the past, you understand where you are now, you understand whether or not you've been making progress. If you have not been making progress or you have been making progress, you might change the level of stressor on your body. So the process of actually measuring your adaptation is imperfect. We don't have a way to look at the cellular level and say, this is exactly the number of sets and reps we're going to do. So we can aggregate a history of the person's training. We can understand as a coach, what kind of numbers they're currently at. We can use our expert knowledge to understand what has worked in the past with other athletes. And you can apply it. The same thing for yourself. When you're trying to make progress. Now, what's really important here is there's another factor involved, and that is you don't necessarily get better every single workout at the same extent people think they do. For example, you might lift a weight. Let's say we have a workout, and that workout is five sets of five reps on the bench press at 75%. Let's just pretend. Cool. You do five sets of five reps. If you do that workout again tomorrow, the next or the next workout and then the next workout and the next workout, and the next workout. It's still probably enough of a stimulus to create positive change. It's not like every single workout. You need to have a totally new workout to create positive change. The effectiveness of the stimulate might stimulus might slowly degrade. It might be like a hundred percent potency, 99% potency, 98, down to 95 down to 90. But what really happens when we get redundant in our programming is that the novelty and excitement of lifting wears off. And so if I'm putting 100% effort in on that first workout, but by the fifth workout, I think it's kind of boring. I'm only putting 75% workout effort in. Well, we're going to have a decrease in the stimulus because the decrease in effort is there. So we got to understand the psychology of actually applying the effort to a workout. So that's where we have slight variation in training can be really beneficial because it makes training somewhat novel. Even adjusting the sets and reps a little bit can help quite a bit. It makes it a little less boring because in theory, we're not really changing the stimulus that much, four sets of six or five sets of five or three sets of seven, whatever the heck. In reality, that stimulus is probably similar across the board. And as long as it's relatively large enough to create positive change, it will do that. But it keeps our psychology fresh in the sense that we're not getting so bored each set, each rep, each workout because it's the same exact thing. Now, the guess and checks process is based on a couple of things. Your guess and checks can be done based on rate of perceived exertion. How easy did those weights feel? What was the effort level? So rate of perceived exertion, or reps in reserve. Both are kind of similar, but different rate of perceived exertion. Just simply like, Hey, you do a workout. What was the effort level that it took to do that workout? Did that weight feel like a seven or an eight? The more you practice this mentally, the better you get. And you start to get a feel as to when weights feel lighter. And if a relative percentage of your one rep max, for example, you might say, I'm going to use 75% of my one rep max. Well, If that feels lighter today than it did yesterday, we know we might have some positive change going on. Good. That's one way. Another way is reps and reserve. Very similar to rate of perceived exertion in terms of assessing the effort level. But instead of trying to put a number on it, you might say, well, I could have done three more reps of that. I could have done five more reps of that. How many reps did you leave in the tank or in reserve? So if you did a five reps at one weight today, and normally it feels like you're going to do two more, but today it felt like you do four more. There are four reps in reserve. And so you're getting stronger because that weight could have been lifted for more reps. So that's how you can guess and check this. This is a process. It's, it's an imperfect process, but it at least gives you some guidelines and some framework to start to understand how and why we program. So again, it goes back to the relativeness of a stressor then applying that stressor over time. You cannot just think about each workout independently. You got to think about each workout as a whole in a larger scheme of things. Some people call it like a micro cycle or a macro cycle, whatever they want to call it. The idea is that you don't just do one workout and that's it. Fatigue and the stimulus accumulates over time. So the series of workouts over a month all add up synergistically and work together to create positive change. So it's not just a single workout, but the continuity of workouts and your relative ability to handle that whole month of work and that total month. If you just sum up all the efforts and how much stress was applied in that month relative to maybe the previous month or whatever, the slight progressive overload is what we're looking for, not the extreme aggressive overload, slight progressive overload. The stimulus only needs to be large enough to create positive change. So. Now we have some of those basic principles down. We have the stress response and adaptation. You can begin to look at that and break down those sub areas and subcategories as a means to understand where or where you where you're doing well or where you might not be doing as well as you could be. Where we talked about the stress, um, the stressors that stimulus that creates that response. Now the response for change is relative to your ability to actually create change, and that's where things like adequate sleep nutrition and all that stuff fall into play because if you're in a caloric deficit or you're not getting your right macronutrients or micronutrients that you need and you're trying to create positive change that adaptation is an active biological process it is actively building new materials and so if you're trying to build a house and you don't have enough lumber for the house well you're not going to be able to build a big enough house the same conceptually applies with the human body. If you don't get enough sleep, you don't have enough energy to rebuild the house. You might not have enough workers to help rebuild the house to the size that you'd like it to be. So even though you might apply a wonderfully excellent stressor, that's 100% the perfect one. If you don't eat or don't have enough food or you don't have the right recovery to create adaptation, well, you might only extract a 50% yield out of it. And so people so often think about only the stressor, but really the response and adaptation is important and well, in the sense is what kind of conversion are we getting from the stressor? If we do tons and tons of work and we apply too much work, we're not getting the most out of that stressor. If we don't have the right recovery means and methods, we don't get the most out of that stressor. So it's this song and dance between the active biological process of working out you're burning energy, working out, burning calories, I should say, and you're having to overcome a stressor. That's relative a little bit more than maybe what would otherwise be done. Or so you just have progressive overload and that progressive overload we talked about in terms of a workout, in terms of a day, sets, reps, time, how we're measuring whether or not we're making progress, that RPE, reps in reserve, and you're actually lifting more weight. You can do more reps at a certain percentage. Then the response, your body has to respond and create change. That response is relative to the type of workout you did. So if you just did arbitrarily random workouts, the responses would be arbitrarily random as well, relative to the workout you did. So you kind of want some continuity in your workouts. So we can think about if we're doing a tug of war, all of our adaptation stimuli are pulling in the same direction, trying to create positive change, We're rowing a boat, everyone's rowing in the right direction. And then we want adaptation. And are we actually getting the yield that we expect to get out of that stressor? Are we recovering? Are we fueled up enough? Are we getting the most, what we can from the stimulus and the reconstruction. So that adaptation process is actively biologic biologically active. It is a process of rebuilding. So you did the effort, the volitional effort, you put in the physical effort to lift weights. Now you're letting the biology, the physiology rebuild. So next time you encounter a stressor, that is like the one you did last time, your body's more ready to handle it. But if your body's more ready to handle a stressor, we need a little bit tougher stressor. And that's the idea of progressive overload. You stimulate the body to say, hey, look, we have to get stronger. We need to build up our ability to handle this stressor. We're going to encounter, encounter this in our environment of life. Because we imposed it ourselves, we're gonna make ourselves lift weights. Cool, it gets better at lifting weights. Well, if we just lift the same weights every time, that's not going to be a large enough stressor to continuously create more change. So we have to progressively overload that stimulus to create more positive change. And so having patience in this process is really important. People often want to rush it because, as I said earlier, each workout, if you just did the same workout on repeat, It doesn't necessarily mean it's not effective. It is going to be pretty effective. It's just slowly over time, it reduces its effectiveness. But you can probably do the same workout numerous times in a row and have it be an equally potent stimulus for change. Knowing that means we shouldn't have to try and change our workout wildly every single time. Progressive overload should be progressive patient overload. And now you might want to create change because you want to have some novelness in your training because it's boring to do the same thing. So you might create change without actually changing the stimulus, small modifications and sets and reps and movements. That way you can keep it fun and enjoyable without it having to been totally mundane. So I hope that kind of sums up the process of adaptation, progressive overload, the whole purpose of training in a way that allows you to understand some of the biological principles or foundational principles behind it. Now, it's obviously much more complex than this, I hope this provides a working framework from which you could actually think a little more about your own training and then make the adjustments as needed. Um, So as always, I I hope that helps. I thank you for listening. I hope you all enjoy. I appreciate you. If you have comments or questions, uh, feel free to message me. Maybe I'll tackle your Q&A that you send my way. And as always, if you guys would like to subscribe to this and leave a positive review, I always appreciate that too. So thank you all. Take care and peace out.